All right. Well, uh, welcome to part one of the new series called uh, Sticks and Stones. Now, as I prepared for the message series, I was really excited because the topics we have coming up in the next four or five weeks, they're topics that, as always, they lead us to Jesus. But there's also some truth to take out of these messages coming up that intersect with everyday life in such a real way, and I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, one of the things I did in preparation for this series as we launch it today is I did a little bit of research behind the name. Now, the name is Sticks and Stones. And I assumed coming into this that 100% of the audience would understand what this is referring to. But yesterday morning, as I talked to my kids, I found out this might not be the case. So let's just get this out of the way right away. So I told my kids this phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones. And then I asked my three kids, ages, uh, or grades six, uh, fourth, and second, I asked them, how do you finish the phrase? And all three of them just looked at me with this blank stare, like, we have no idea what you're talking about, Dad. Now, either I'm a great parent, or I failed miserably teaching my kids some street cred or street smarts, but... Um, just for the sake of everyone in the room, I was thinking maybe as we start the series, let's just get the phrase out there and share what it is. Now, can you finish it without me putting it up there? Words will never hurt me. Let's just say the whole thing together. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I don't believe that I have ever evoked the power of this phrase in my life. Like, I've never said it out loud, but I remember hearing it as a kid on the playground. You always hear it when, you know, someone uses words to belittle you. You're an idiot, you're a failure, you're a mess up. And then you reply to them with this fine piece of poetry. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. We evoke this phrase to minimize the power of the people's words against us. And one of the things we're going to talk about today and throughout this series is we're going to talk about why we tend to do that. Why do we tend to minimize the hurt of the words that are being spoken to us? But today especially what I want to do is look at the other side of that. Quite often we tend to minimize the power of the words that we have. I'll illustrate it like this real quick. <clears throat> have you ever, I thought about bringing a prop but it was kind of on the edge, so I didn't bring it, but have you ever seen a six-year-old with a Nerf gun? And I thought about bringing a Nerf gun, but then gun, and yeah, I, I didn't bring it. Um, when you give a kid a Nerf gun, and by the way, my three kids have some unruly aunts and uncles who have given them plenty of Nerf guns throughout the years. We have a whole, you know, basement full of Nerf guns, so if the zombie apocalypse ever comes, just come to my house, and we'll Nerf those zombies back into, I don't know. I'm, I'm getting sidetracked. So have, if you've ever seen a six-year-old with a Nerf gun, you know that they're just throwing that thing around, aiming it at everyone, shooting their sister in the forehead. And as, an, as a parent, you know that Nerf gun, it's a toy, but it can still hurt. It can still poke an eye out. Or at least that's what we tell the kids. And so the, the, the reason the six-year-old loves to point it around and wave it around is because they get the respect of the room when they have a live firearm with these Nerf darts in it, and they know that people will respect them. Now, it's a toy. Yeah, it's a toy. But at the same time, it can get someone's attention and it can hurt. And I think sometimes we treat words that way. It's nice being able to throw my words around and have my kids do what I tell them to. 
It's nice being able to throw some words of guilt across the table and have someone feel sorry for me. Be able to control, manipulate, and we wouldn't use words like that, but in essence, we use our words to control the environment around us, and sometimes that means we use them to control the people. But they're just words. They're just words, right? Some of you will relate to this. You can think to a time this past week, or you can think to a time on your way driving to church today where this happened. You, you came to a situation where you said, well, all I said was, and then they blew up. All I said was, she cooks like her mother, and she just got angry. All I said was, he should have turned right a block ago, and he got quiet. All I said was, they should really sit down and talk with me sometime, and they just stormed out. We've thought this before. Well, what just happened? All I said was some words, and then this amazing reaction happened. What that is, is it's telling us something deeper. You see, a lot of times, we don't like to admit how powerful our words are. But what if we don't even know how powerful they might be? Today's, in today's message, as we talk about the power of words, and throughout the series, we'll talk about different situations where words can help or words can hurt, and we're going to seek God's wisdom through that. Today, I want to focus on the truth that, yes, indeed, <clears throat> your words do have power. In fact, I want to use as a springboard Proverbs chapter 18, verse 12. It's a great book of the Bible, full of wisdom. It starts off like this, and I'm wondering how you would finish the, sta- the, sa- the sentence. The tongue has the power of what? It has the power of love, power of hate. It has the power of starting wars, power of ending wars. It has the power of poetry. How would you finish that statement? What might seem like an overstatement is how Proverbs 18 verse 12 finishes that sentence. The tongue, number one on your sheet, the tongue has the power of life and death. Sometimes we, we tend to downplay how powerful our words are, but what if we don't even know the power that they contain? Some of you, few of you, might be in a position where this is literal, where you have a position or authority where you can actually, through your judgment, through your verdict, decide whether or not a person lives or dies. But all of us, to some degree, through the power of our words, can reflect life or death to the people around us. Maybe in literal ways, maybe in figurative ways. But what I want to do today is dig into this a little bit deeper so that at least we know what kind of a weapon or tool we have through words. And to do that, we're actually going to look at a section of the Bible. It was a letter written by a guy named James who happened to be the half-brother, I don't know if you've heard of him, but the half-brother of a guy named Jesus. (laughs) And as James writes this, just a disclosure, he's writing this to Christians who already know who Jesus is and what he's done. And so James isn't here to teach them the the basics about how Jesus died for them. So he doesn't really talk about that much throughout his letter. But what James does do is that he says, if you are a follower of Jesus, then you should know how seriously you should take your life and your actions and your words and your thoughts. And it's very practical in how he takes faith and makes it into something alive. And in chapter 3 of his letter, he talks about the power of the tongue. 
And apparently what had happened is that the, the church that James was writing to, there were some people who said, oh man, the, the, the teachers in our church, they get all the attention, uh, people respect them, they get like fruitcake at Christmas from all the people in the church. I don't know if that's, that part's true, but James recognized that the, the church he was writing to, the people, there's this desire for a lot of people to want to be teachers and to, to share their wisdom with the group. And so as James acknowledges this, this is an opportunity for him to remind them that when you are a teacher, when you speak, anytime you interact with someone, you need to be aware of the power of your words. So in chapter 3, James starts this way. He says, not many, we need teachers, but not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers. Not teachers in, in schools, not teachers at home. He's talking about teachers within the context of the church. Not many of you should become that because we, you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Judged by whom? By God? By people? My answer is yes. Judge, by, judge more strictly just across the board. On the one hand, judge more strictly by God because when he gives more responsibility and more oversight to someone, then there is more asked of them. There's more accountability. Um, the way I illustrate that is when um, Amy and I had our first kid 12 years ago, we were you know, in the hospital. We, we were taking this baby to our house, which to me is like they trust me with this human being, which was incredible. But I remember the moment we had that baby in the little car seat and we snapped the car seat into the van or into the car. And I remember this is another life in my vehicle. And it changed the way I drove for about a month. I had a baby on board. It totally changed the way I, I viewed driving. And that's true in a spiritual sense. When God gives you the responsibility of caring for others and especially speaking to them, there's an added level of accountability. So judge more strictly by God, absolutely. But at the same time, when you're a teacher, this is true of anyone, if you're a teacher or if you're just sitting across from someone over coffee and you're sharing words, you're sharing life, it's also true that you will be judged more strictly. And here's why. There's, there's maybe four different ways that we evaluate the world and live in the world and usually people only see one of them. As you think, and this is kind of the process that we think by, there's an event that triggers a feeling, and that feeling triggers a certain thought, and that thought triggers a certain action. Uh, for example, the event, a six-year-old shoots me in the forehead with a dart gun. Feeling, I'm feeling angry. My thought is that this six-year-old needs to learn something, and so my action is I have some words for this six-year-old. So there's a quick illustration. Now, normally what people see is just that last little bit, the action. They see you talking to this six-year-old or whatever, and, and they might judge you for it until they see the whole story about what happened. But no one sees the feelings. No one sees the thoughts. We just see the actions. And to be honest, most often things stop with a thought. You don't normally have the opportunity to take action on all of your thoughts, and that's a good thing, I think, right? If people could read your thoughts, that would be a little creepy, and you wouldn't have very many friends. Um, but here's the thing about being a teacher, or here's the thing about sharing words with people. The more you open up and communicate, the more people can see everything 
It's like you're opening the window to your heart so that they can see how you interpret events. They can see how events make you feel. They can see how you think about those feelings and then how you plan to act. It's like you're opening up to them everything so that they can see it. And words are the delivery vehicle for all that to happen. Words are powerful. They're powerful because they open a window to your heart and it's the quickest way in. You can say that actions speak louder than words, but guess what? Words give you a more direct uh, view into someone's heart. You see more than any action could ever tell you. Uh, so, So judged more strictly. By God, yes, and by people, yes, because when you, when you share words, when you use words, it's an open window to your heart. Now, James goes on, and he says, what are you going to see when you open that window? And he acknowledges, well, we all stumble in many ways, it's just that some of us hide it more than others. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say, just pay attention to that, anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. If you speak perfectly, the rest of you will follow suit. To which we might at first think, okay, James is telling us we need to clean up our speech. But it's not so much about talking correctly. James would say it's so much deeper than that. It's different than that. Um, it, it's, it's like this. When I just got a text yesterday from my wife that uh, a light came on the dashboard of our minivan, which it's, it's a Dodge Caravan, so there's like always lights popping up and stuff. It's kind of fun to watch the colors across the dashboard. But when a light comes up, it's not like, oh, I need to fix the dashboard. It's, no, there's something deeper. Uh, what James is saying is that if you're never at fault in what they say, that's a dashboard to check. It's, it's not a box to check off. It's not that he's telling you, telling you to clean up your speech and then everything will be fine. He says, no, if If there's something wrong with the way you speak, it means there's something wrong inside. Words are absolutely powerful because they open the window to your heart. And number two on your sheet, words reflect what's in your heart. They reflect the condition of your heart. To the point where the older you get, the more you can see this, that as you're talking to people, they can use the right words, But you can kind of sense that as they open that window and show you what's inside, the feelings, the thoughts, you can kind of tell where they're at. The more you open that window, the more it reveals the condition of your heart. And that is something powerful to be aware of because nothing else can do that. And as James goes on, he says, what happens when you do that is not always comfortable in what you find. Now, he, he goes on to use a couple of analogies. I think what James did 2,000 years ago is that he sat down, he's really thinking, really thinking. He, he, he like his half-brother Jesus, liked to use analogies that people could, could uh, connect with and understand. And so James exhausts a certain area of life of the analogies that he could find from it. So he, two quick pictures. They might not make sense at first, but he'll explain. He says... When we put bits into the mouths of horses, or what we might say today is that when horse people, equestrians, when they put bits into the mouths of horses, because we don't really do this across the board anymore, um, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal, a five-pound piece of metal in the mouth of a 1,000-pound animal, can direct the whole thing. 
Just tug it a little bit here and there, and you can control the entire thing. Now, he uses another analogy, which might make more sense. He says, or take ships as an example. We would expand it to ships, planes, automobiles. Uh, Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot might want them to go. Now, we know this from, from experience, that when you drive a car, it just takes a little bit and you can turn the entire 1,000, 2,000, 10-ton, whatever it is, vehicle that you are driving. And his point is this. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. And it's like one more analogy came into his mind. He says, consider what a great forest is set on fire by a very small spark. Um, Smokey the bear meditated on James 3, verse 5. He understood that only you can stop forest fires. It starts very small, but it expands to something very big. And likewise, your tongue, your mouth, the words that you use, they determine so much more. They don't just reflect the condition of your heart, but they actually set forth a path for your future. Uh, Number three on your sheet puts it this way. Words determine the direction of your life. Yes, they reflect the condition of your heart, but they also determine the direction of your life. Uh, last night we had a short meeting after the Saturday night services, and or service, and uh, at the meeting we had about ten people, and I was in there, and it was just an empty table. So I said, "Hey, does anyone want anything to drink? I'm going to grab some water bottles." And so I said, "All right, I'll, I'll come back with five water bottles." So I go into the kitchen, and we're out of water bottles. <laughs> and so I walk in there, and I'm like, "Sorry, guys, here's some Lacroix." Um, I kind of. I kind of dug myself into a hole because I promised something that I couldn't quite deliver. And I know that you've never done that. Like you've never responded to an email and said, hey, I'll do this by tomorrow, 12, whatever, and then you don't. Or you tell your spouse, you tell your family member, hey, don't worry, I've got this, I can handle it, and then you don't. It's like your mouth makes these great boasts. The intention is there. But it sets you off in a direction that you are unable to. To deliver. Part of this is sometimes we get ourselves stuck because our own big fat mouths set us off in a direction that we can't possibly do what we have promised. But a lot of times also what happens is it's not just our words that determine the direction, it's the people around us. Last week we talked about the blessing of elders, the blessing of um, older people who have wisdom and experience and how you should listen to their advice. Well, here's the other side of that. Your words have power. Your words are a small spark that can ignite an entire forest, that can blaze the trail for someone's future, and that direction may be influenced by your advice. So if you share words, you may be determining the direction of someone else's life, and that is not something to take lightly. Do words have power? Yes, they reveal the condition of your heart, but they also determine the direction of your life. And sometimes the direction they take you isn't all that good. In fact, James would say it's stronger. When your mouth determines the direction of your life, it will not be good. Here's how he put it. The tongue, just like we talked about Smokey the Bear, so talking about fire. So the tongue also is a fire. It is a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. 
It's like even if the whole body was pure and perfect and holy and doing everything right, the mouth has enough wickedness of its own to pollute the entire thing, which you might think to yourself, that's a little harsh, James. My, my tongue isn't quite that bad. Just wait, just wait. So it corrupts the body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire. Now, basically, you, you know this. Your life has a certain path, a certain direction. You might not know how many steps you know, in the future, where it goes, but you know that there's a path. James says, whatever your path is, it's on fire. And there's one reason, because of your tongue. Your tongue sets the course of your life on fire. Wherever your tongue goes, there will be fire. There will be a, um, anger, hostility, and difficulty. And in case that wasn't enough, what James says next might just make you lean back and say, James, I kind of had you till now, but it's a little too much. Here's what he says. Not only all that, but the tongue itself is set on fire by hell. How would you like to turn to your neighbor and tell them that? The point is, James doesn't want you to judge other people by this, but he wants you to acknowledge this is true of you. Not James, hold on. I know every once in a while I let my tongue slip, I lose my filter, I have a drink or two too many, and I say things I don't mean, but I don't think my tongue's on fire by hell. Now, here's his point. If your tongue was on fire and if it was so destructive because of a book you read, you could simply read a different book and put out the fire. If your tongue is on fire because of the group of friends you have, you could simply find a new group of friends and your tongue would be fine. If your tongue is on fire because of some mistakes you made in your past and some bad decisions you made, well, you could just make some different decisions and choices today and put that fire out. But James says you can't do that. The fire comes from a place where you have no power and no authority. The fire was lit before you were even born. And you don't have the ability to quarantine this or to control this because it comes from hell itself. The tongue cannot be tamed. Uh, he, he goes on to say a little bit more. He says, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and, and have been tamed by mankind. And he speaks historically. We've all different kinds of animals. We could even look at dolphins and say, we've tamed dolphins even. I mean, that's pretty cool. I don't know if you can tame a cat, but cats kind of do their own thing. Um, we, we have the ability, if we have enough resources and food and time, you can tame any animal. But James says, no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And again, here's your last chance. You might say, James, that's a little harsh. I mean, I'm not quite that bad. And what James says next will put a nail in the coffin for me and for you because he brings up a circumstance that all of us have to say, that's me. And because this is true of us, then everything else he said also has some truth. He says, with the tongue, we, he's not pointing the finger at some nasty people 2,000 years ago. He says, we, we praise our Lord and Father. God, thank you for your love, for your provision. Thank you for your forgiveness. And with that same tongue, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. 
How's that for hypocrisy? We love and praise God, but then we curse the people who were made in God's likeness. Or we could even put it this way. We love and praise God, but we hate the people whom God loved so much that he sent his son to die for them. Does that make sense? That we would have both praise for God and curse for God come out of the same mouth, the same tongue. Uh, He goes on, verse 10. With the same mouth come praise and cursing. And he, he says, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. But again, he's not condemning them. He's condemning himself too. If there's inconsistency in what you're saying, that's a sign of something really troubling and off on the inside. An inconsistent tongue indicates that something is radically wrong on the inside. Something is at war. Something is not settled. Something needs to be addressed. And the fix for this is so much more than cleaning up your mouth. James says it goes much deeper. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Um, He takes a step back. He's the master of analogies. He has so many pictures that he brings in. He, he brings up another one. He says, well, my brothers and sisters, in other words, he's getting their attention. Come on, be honest, be honest. Can a fig tree bear olives? No. Well, can a grapevine bear figs? No. Can an apple tree make oranges? No. What if you yell at the apple tree really hard? No. What if you make Ten Commandments for an apple tree and tell it to create apples and, or oranges and pears? No. Because it can only do what it has been designed to do, and the tongue can only do one thing. He goes on to say, so it is with this. Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. And then he just drops the mic. He, he lets the people make their own application and their own deductions, but the implication is this. If you praise God and you curse the people whom God loves, there's some inconsistency going on. But it's not a problem with your mouth. It's a problem that starts much deeper inside. I would put it this way if I were writing Proverbs, and it's a good thing I didn't write the book of Proverbs, but I would say don't blame your tongue when you say something dumb. The tongue isn't the problem here. The the problem comes from somewhere much deeper. Now, before you take a picture, let's show the positive version of this. Your tongue was never intended to be the filter. Sometimes we think, I'm sorry, I just lost my filter. I'm sorry, that wasn't me. I'm sorry, I was just angry. Well, here's the thing. Your tongue was never designed to filter the way that you're trying to make it filter. A quick illustration. A number of years ago, I can't remember when this was. A number of years ago, I was at a restaurant, and I ordered something to drink. And the drink came out, and I was sipping on it through the straw, and something was off with this drink. Like, it was not what I ordered. It was not carbonated correctly. Like, something happened and it was not what I, I could not finish the drink. And so I called the waiter over and I said, sir, could you get me a new straw? And I didn't say that. The problem was not with the straw. The straw just delivered what was in there into my mouth. It, it was the problem with the source. It was a problem with the drink. And James says, if you try to improve your life by just fixing your language, that's like trying a new straw but keeping the same source of where the words came from. The problem isn't with your tongue. It's not with your mouth. The problem starts in the heart. I'll put it this way for number four. What you store up will flow out. What, you, what you've been storing up 
started to flow out this morning on your way to church. What you were storing up last week might flow out at some point this week. Um, I put it this way. Um, how many of you brushed your teeth this morning? I'm kidding. I'm not going <laughs> to. Some of you know. Like, they didn't. Um, when you brush your teeth, you get out your toothbrush, you, you get out the toothpaste um, bottle, and what comes out when you squeeze the toothpaste bottle? Toothpaste. It's not a trick question. But the real answer, it's not really toothpaste that comes out. Whatever is in the bottle is what comes out. And the same is true of you. There will be moments in your life when you're driven to anger, you're driven to impatience, you're driven to um, a place where you're desperate. And in those moments, you'll be squeezed. And I'll tell you, whatever you've been storing up will come out, whether through an emotion or most often through your words. And so this week, maybe that's something to start paying attention to. But what James just dropped the mic on and let us figure out I think we need to bring some resolution to this because if we just look inward and try to figure out what's inside of us, that's not going to figure out the problem either. So here's what Jesus did. He also noticed that people were saying things they shouldn't say and they were not aware of the power that their words had. But when Jesus came, he didn't come with a lot of commandments about how to speak better. He didn't chastise people for words that they used or words they didn't use. He didn't teach them a new vocabulary. Jesus didn't come to apply some filter to our speech so that we would keep the bad stuff inside and only let out good things. Jesus came to address the source. And for, for followers of Jesus, that's a daily thing. It's like you look at what's inside of you, the dirty stuff that doesn't belong there, and it's like every day Jesus takes a scoop of that out and replaces it with peace. Takes out the resentment and he replaces it with, with joy. He takes out the thanklessness and he replaces it with contentment. He takes out the anger at others and he replaces it with forgiveness. And it's a day by day when you empty out the sin and when you take it to the cross where Jesus took it away, there you see him replace it with something so good. What happens when someone squeezes you. Some of you are huggers and you kind of like it when people squeeze you. But what happens when in the course of life you get squeezed? What comes out? And that's what I want you to think about this week. As you th go through this week, I have two things I want you to do so that when we come back next week, we can start to apply this in a practical way. This isn't a series where we want to teach you what to say. This is a series where we want to realign the heart to naturally flow out Things and words that would honor God and be loving for the people around us, and it starts in your heart. So would you ask yourself two questions this week? Just be aware of these two things. First of all, what am I saying? What words are coming out of my mouth, and what tone accompanies those words? What am I saying to the people around me? And as you become more aware of this, what you'll find is you will take note of some words that you hadn't noticed before, and you'll ask yourself, where did that come from? The answer is, it came from you, from what you've been storing up, and now it's just coming out. And in that moment, you have an opportunity to say, yep, salt water and fresh water cannot come from the same spring, and I need Jesus 
to forgive what's in here, and I need him to replace it and remove it. I just want you to be more aware of that this week. And then the second thing, would you address it? Would you ask yourself, well, what am I storing? Who are the influences that are filling me up? Is it the TV? Is it Netflix? Is it my friends? Is it my, my coworkers? Is it my church? Is it my daily Bible reading? What is it that's storing up in me and filling up so that it eventually comes out? As you look at your influences this week, I want to challenge you. Maybe it's time to take away one of the things that's been filling you up with bad and replace it with the voice and truth of your Father in heaven. And next week, what we'll do is, with hearts made new through God's forgiveness, we're going to see how to use the powerful words we have, made even more powerful by the love and forgiveness and gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to take those words into conflict and see how we can use them to honor God and love one another. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, there's so much wisdom we can draw out of James and what he said. And quite honestly, these words can drive us to despair and they can drive us to guilt. And I pray that just as a surgeon has to open up a wound to address it, that's what James' words did for us today. Um, None of us are perfect. Some of us have learned to guard our words carefully and choose our words carefully and filter them carefully, but that's not what we're content with because that's not what Jesus was content with. He came to address the source. I pray that you would give everyone here in this room, everyone listening online, give us the courage and the wisdom to be able to identify what it is that's been filling us up and, if needed, to replace it with something better. Daily, help us to draw out the bad. Draw out the sin. Draw out that darkness and let you replace it with life and light and hope and peace and forgiveness so that we would overflow with grace to the people around us. I ask for your power and for your wisdom because your son, our Savior, defeated death for us and he's the one whose resurrection power lives within us. So I pray that all and ask it all in his name. Amen.